A blessed day, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Join me every Wednesday for a few minutes of studying and reflecting on God's words here on Bible Chismes Podcast. Hello, my uh, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. For our very first episode um, of our Bible study, um, I'm very excited to um, share with you this um, book. Actually, for the first season of um, the podcast, I will be um, talking about this book. Um, this book is from my uh, previous pastor, Pastor Joy. Hello, uh, Pastor Joy, if you're watching or listening. Watching, if you're listening um, right now. I want to thank you for giving me this book. This is such a helpful tool um, for me to grow in Christ. And now I am so excited to share um, the knowledge that I uh, got from this book um, to everyone who's listening. So praise God um, in everything. This book is called What Every Christian Ought to Know um, by Adrian Rogers and A Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. Um, it's called Masterwork. Yeah. So um, we will be talking about this um, for the first season and we will be uh, discussing the uh, chapters bit by bit because, you know, we need to um, be able to like fully understand it bit by bit and with the help of the Holy Spirit, um, we'll get to like fully understand what the words really mean here. Okay, so for the first um, episode, um, I will be talking about um, the topic, the Bible is scientifically accurate. And the Bible is scientific uh, or historically accurate. So it's scientifically accurate and it's historically um, accurate. So um, as it says in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, so um, hindi lang siya basta-basta sinulat ng kung sinong tao um, out of an idea. It is inspired by God. The starting place in Christian growth is to have a firm conviction about the inspiration and the authority of the Bible. And it is very important that we understand and have assurance that the Bible is really the Word of God. It is not the book of the month, the book of the day. It is the book of the ages. Why is that so important? Because first, our salvation depends on understanding the gospel message of the Bible our assurance depends on resting in the truth of the Bible. Our spiritual growth depends on living by the principles of the Bible. And our power in witness depends on the confidence that we have in the Word of God. Now, um, in our time today, scientific accuracy confirms the Bible as the Word of God. The first concept, or this first concept, is the same uh, is the same one most often used to dispute the validity of the Bible by those who deny it. It is commonly assumed that there must be scientific errors in the Bible. Now, before we say that, um, 
we have to be certain that we know these two things. First, science, and we also must know the Bible. Most often, those who claim scientific errors in the Bible do not clearly understand either subject. And those who do understand science must admit it is in a continual state of flux, which means it changes all the time. Science changes all the time. It innovates. It, it progresses. Every year, we get to find out new things. Scientists get to explore and research. And then they get to see and find out that, hey, wow, this is a new development. So it develops, it changes over time, it improves over time, it progresses, it changes, it's in constant change. The accepted science of yesterday is not necessarily the science of today. So as an example, that the tuberculosis or consumption, as they would call it back then, has no cure. But now it can be cured. Leprosy. Um, has no cure but now uh, we can cure it so there are some diseases that cannot be cured back then but we can cure now okay so that's the progression of science it changes um, now we don't have cure for cancer but you know researchers scientists are already finding ways developing uh, medicines or treatments to cure cancer and you know in the next few years that will be cured too. And that's what it means that science is constantly changing. But God's word does not change. Okay, let me give a few examples. The earth is suspended in space. Uh, one of the most fundamental scientific facts that you and I agree is true today uh, is that our earth is suspended in space. Ancient cultures did not always know this. The ancient uh, Egyptians used to believe that the earth was supported by pillars. The Greeks believed the world was carried on the back of a giant whose name was Atlas. And the Hindus believed something even more ridiculous, that the earth was resting on the backs of gigantic elephants. This was the science of the day. When you and I picked up the word of God, we do not find any such mythology stated there. But as it says in the book of Job, chapter 26, verse 7, God stretched out the northern sky and hung the earth in empty space. Another example, the earth is round. It's not flat. You know, by the way, I remembered up until now, there are still people who would call themselves flat earthers. These are the ones who believed that the earth is still flat. It's not round but it's flat but you know that th that's what they claimed and i think they have something against the claims of nasa or the researches of nasa and all that um but anyway you can google that for yourself flat earthers the i think they also have a podcast and they have some videos on youtube um that you can also see for yourself so um anyway we you know we also take for granted that the earth is round do we know this by natural observation? No, not at all. But people didn't always know that the earth was round. Even as late as 1492, people did not know that the earth is round. Yet, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, 
This is written about 750 BC. The prophet described the earth as, okay, as it says here, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. This was written in 750 BC, before Christ. And we found out only in the late 1400s that the earth is round. How can, how can someone even know that? How can someone in 750 BC know that the earth is round when people say it's flat? Right? We found out, and even now, you know, because of the help of the satellites, we can really see that the earth is round. And there are also other planets that are round. So, how did we, how can we know that? How did that person, how did, how did the prophet Isaiah um, know that back in 750 BC? Right? Because it's true that the scriptures are inspired by God. Now, according to um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that is so true. How, how did God, how did Job know God hung the earth on nothing? How did the prophet Isaiah know that the earth is round? Right? Now, the Bible teaches that when Jesus comes again, it will be both daylight and dark. For example, um, there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken and the other left. That is from Luke chapter 17, verse 34 to 36. Now, that seems contradictory. But while it will be light on one side of the globe, it will be dark on the other side when Jesus Christ comes again. As what's happening, you know, um, on the other side of the globe, it's daytime. On the other side, it's nighttime. Okay, so it means it's going to happen when no one knows it, it's like a normal um, day on earth, right? Um, this did not take the one who created the world by surprise. He actually knew all of it. Okay, another point um, that the Bible is scientifically accurate is that the stars cannot be counted. Um, and that's true today, right? No one can really count the stars. Uh, the stars in our galaxy are beyond the ability to number. But, you know, there was an astronomy 150 years before Christ um, who said uh, that he uh, saw 1,022 stars. He counted 1,022 stars. His name was Hipparchus. He had counted the stars and he made his chart. Okay, um, 1,022 stars, and that was the science of the day. Now, his findings were considered accurate for, imagine this, 250 years. Okay, 250 years. And then along came Ptolemy, who began to count the stars, and he said, Did Hipparchus say 1,022? I think it's 1,056 stars. So, 1,056 stars, and he upgraded the science of the day for a while. Now, about 1,300 years later, a young medical student named Galileo invented his first crude telescope, turned it up to the heavens, and looked beyond those stars that could be seen with the naked eye. He found out 
there are more stars, hundreds and thousands and millions and billions and hundreds of billions of stars. And no fool would ever dare try to count the stars. Can you imagine? Now, according to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 22, um, it says here, I will make the descendants of David my servant and the Lev Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars of the sky and as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Even the sand, you, we can't count it, right? The sand, can you? Can you count sand? We can't. Okay, now, um, let's see here. Which ancient writers, among the ones that we just discussed, um, spoke truth or accurately say the truth about the stars in the universe? Um, was it Hipparchus? Was it Ptolemy? Was it Galileo? Or was it Jeremiah? Who's the most ancient? Definitely it was Jeremiah. Right, and how did he know? How did he know that stars can't be counted? How did he know that sand cannot be counted? Well, sand, of course, because they can see it, right? But how about the stars, right? Because the scripture is truly inspired by God. We cannot really have this knowledge. Um, it was God who inspired that knowledge in us. Um, the blood circulates through the body. Okay, so... Let's move away from the area of astronomy and think about human anatomy and physiology. Now, we've already found out or, or we learned this when we were still in school, right? The human anatomy. Um, you and I take for granted that our blood is flowing in our bodies and is what some have called a river of life. Um, it was not until 1628, though, that William Harvey, a medical doctor, discovered that the blood circulates throughout the body. And um, that's, you know, early 1600s, okay? Now, it says here, um, the blood, it, fuel, uh, it carries the fuel to the cells, it carries oxygen to burn the fuel, and carries away waste, fights diseases, and maintains uh, a constant temperature in the body. And this is only recent knowledge. Okay, I remember there was a, um, a video uh, on YouTube and some certain podcasts and stories that I've read about a certain countess in um, Europe. I think we back, I, I'm not sure, 1400s or 1500s, um, that she had um, epilepsy that time. You know, incest was very common amongst the um, royal families in that time because they wanted to make sure that the riches of the family the money of the family is you know just within their family so they would marry their cousins they would marry their brothers and sisters their uncles and such and you know um what we find out today is that if we do that if we marry or if we uh, reproduce um, within our family, like we mate with our cousin or with our brothers or whoever within the family, um, we will develop some sort of uh, an abnormal set of hormones or chromosomes, um, which would lead to some, uh, what do you call that, abnormalities in the body of the child, like that epilepsy. Uh, she developed epilepsy, this certain um, 
uh, royalty back then, Duchess, um, she developed epilepsy because she was a fruit of an incest. And she too uh, married her own cousin because of that um, agenda to keep the money within the family. Now, one of her doctors, or actually most all of her doctors would say that um, the cure for her epilepsy uh, is, take note of this, um, it sounds ridiculous to me now or maybe to you now too, but back then that's the science. Um, she must um, take blood from someone who doesn't have epilepsy. So it can be anyone. Someone doesn't have epilepsy and put it under her nose so she can smell it or I think on her lips so that um, her epilepsy would be gone okay and then um, there was also a practice back then that if you are sick you must you have bad blood and you have to cut yourself and bleed yourself out to get rid of the bad blood you know, um, I remember this. There was a certain president who uh, also practiced this and he died eventually because of blood loss. He died because of blood loss, not because of the complications of the consumption. I think he had consumption. Um, I, I can't remember the name. Was it George Washington? Yeah, I don't know. It, it was a U.S. president who also practiced that. Um, but yeah, he had consumption. He developed consumption because of a long ride he developed because he he rode uh, and it was very cold outside and he caught um con you know a cold and it developed i think into consumption and then yeah the doctors advised for you to be cured you have to bled to bleed and they did and he died because of blood loss okay so that was the science of that day but now we know um, oh, by the way, this is also a fun fact. Um, a barber pole looks like a piece of peppermint candy, right? The red and white stripes. Um, but it actually was meant to represent a bandage because often they would take uh, take sick people to the barber who would bleed them in order to make them well. See, sometimes they would put leeches on them to take the blood out. Wow, what signs of the day, right? Um, so, yeah, I was right. It was George Washington. Okay, so today, they might have given him blood transfusion for George Washington. Um, because, clearly, he would have been okay um, if he wasn't bled out. He bled to death. The Bible tells us in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 14, For it, blood, is the life of all flesh. Its blood sustains its life. The medical science of the Bible is truly wonderful. There are so many accounts in the Bible um, that we don't understand now. But I'm pretty sure that in the years to come, we would come to like really confirm and verify that, hey, that's true. Because people back then um, didn't you know, believe that what these um, written... Uh, uh, things of the prophets were true back then and then now many 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 years later we confirm that hey that's true um 
Okay, so let's move on. As it says here, um, as we read uh, in Psalm chapter 119, verses 89 to 91, and Matthew. Okay, let, let's start with Psalm first. So it says there, um, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day. For all things serve you. And this one is very beautiful. This is from uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. It says there, Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. And that is so true. It's really true. Amen for those words, Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's now go ahead to um, the second point, um, which is the Bible is historically accurate. There are so many skeptics about this. So many scholars would claim that the Bible is historically inaccurate. But as they continue researching, they would see that, hey, that's true. You know, as just really go on, um, as they go on researching um, and, you know, studying, they would really find out that, you know, these things that before um, they, they see as not true um, are proven wrong because... Really, the Bible is historically accurate. Um, okay, as, as per the writer, Adrian Rogers says here, the author of this book, um, the Bible is not written to tell us how the heavens go. It is written to tell us how to go to heaven. And that is so true, right? You know, the Bible is not primarily a science book. It was not written to tell us how the heavens go. It is written to tell us how to go to heaven. But when it speaks in science, it is accurate. And the Bible is not primarily a book of history. It is his, God's story. You would expect to find the history of the Bible to be accurate and true. However, as you might suspect, the Bible has been attacked because of its history. Um, okay, so let's, let's take this one for example. Uh, in... In Exodus chapter 17, verse 14, chapter 24, verse 4, chapter 34, verse 27 to 28, and Numbers 33, uh, chapter 33, verses 1 and 2. What did Moses do in obedience to God's command? Let's, let's just go to Numbers chapter 33, verses 1 and 2. I, I will read um, from Numbers chapter 33, verses 1 to 2. It says there, Okay, at the Lord's command, oh, uh, verse 1, Here are the stages in the journey of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, by divisions under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. At the Lord's command, Moses recorded the stages in the journey. Uh, this is their journey by stages. So, um, in verse 3 onwards, um, sinabi dun yung <coughs> journey nila uh, uh, as Israelites. And then, um, here in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14, it says there, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out 
the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So see, on those two accounts, the Lord commanded Moses to make sure that what happened back then is written on record because it's amazing, right? Um, when he says that I know your past, your present, and your future, he knows that this, you know, many, many years, thousands of years after this event with Moses, he would see and he would know that the people of today would be very skeptic of the historical truth of what happened back then. And he said, write this down so we have proof that this really happened. Do you see how amazing that is? And, you know, if that is so true, that God can see our past or present and our future, then how come it is so difficult for us to, like, fully trust Him? Trust in His provisions. Trust that He knows our future. He knows what's going to happen to us in the future. And then why, why do we even try to go against it? He knows what's going to happen to us. So why don't we just fully trust Him? Hey, Lord, take care of me. You know what's going to happen to me in the future? You know who I am, you know my past, my present, my current situation. And I know that you will never ever do so many things, so many bad things to happen to me. I know that you will prosper me as you promised. So why is that so difficult for some people, right? Um, and you know, knowing Jesus, knowing God through these studies would help us you know, really realize and understand, hey, God knows everything. And it is just right to fully trust Him. Now, according to this, in the late 1800s, Dr. S.R. Driver ridiculed the idea that Moses wrote what is called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Driver claimed in, that, in the time that Moses was supposed to have lived on the earth, men didn't know how to write. So how could he have written the Pentateuch, your first five books, the Genesis, um, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, sorry, yeah, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books of the Bible. Some scoffed at the Bible until one day in northern Egypt, a lady was spading her garden when she came across some clay tablets. They were called the Tel El Amarna tablets and were tablets used for correspondence. They were written from people in Egypt to people in Palestine, or what we call today the Holy Land, centuries before Moses was born. Not only did they know how to write, but also they had a postal service that allowed them to send letters back and forth to one another. This proves that Moses did indeed have the capability to write the Pentateuch and also proves a learned man's opinion wrong. See? It's amazing. Okay, so in the book of Daniel is a story about the handwriting on the wall. King Belshazzar saw handwriting on the wall during a feast he made for a thousand of his lords and ladies. The gruesome handwriting told him he was weighed in the balances and found wanting. Do you remember the story? Well, scholars would laugh at that and say, it's a fabrication. That never happened because we have the records of the ancient Babylonians and we know that Belshazzar was not the last king of Babylon. The last king of Babylon was named Nabonetus. 
But one day the spade of an archaeologist uncovered a cylinder, and the name on it was Belshazzar. More records were found that showed the historians were right when they said that Nabonidus was the last king of Babylon. But they were wrong when they said that Belshazzar was not the last king of Babylon. Nabonidus and Belshazzar were father and son and had ruled together, making them kings at the same time. Gosh! What would have happened had they not found a cylinder with Belshazzar's name on it? Would the Bible be analyzed the word of God? Just give people time, friends. And maybe one day, they'll catch up with the Bible. Really. If a historian or a scientist has a good word to say about the Bible, it shouldn't give you any more faith in the Bible. Just a little more faith in the scientist or the historian. The Bible has and will stand the test of time are you blessed because i am because knowing all these things my friends um is really a good foundation for for us christians for us new in the faith for for those new in the faith as well um to really have a strong foundation and to to start strong um, if you wanted to believe in the Bible, you must know that it is reliable. You must know that God is reliable. You have that assurance. Okay. Um, in the next few episodes, in the next in the next episodes um, to come, though, um, we will be um, tackling more of this. And um, if you have any questions at all, you can just you know comment. Um, we also have a uh, an Instagram account, um, Bible Chismis PH. So if you have um, any questions or prayer requests, you can um, send me a DM, uh, a direct message, um, so we can pray for you. Or if you have any questions at all, um, or any topics that you want um, for us to tackle in the future, um, we will read through that and um, we will grant that uh, in God's time. So um, I hope that you were blessed with today's um, recording, with today's lesson, because um, I am. Um, the more that I read through this, the more that I am convinced that, hey, God is truly reliable and his love. And I can be assured of his love for all of us. So um, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, thank you so much for staying with me for the first episode. I'll see you again on the next episode. Choose to be kind, choose to love, and always remember, God loves you more than you know.